Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how technology, consumerism, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. This podcast is sponsored by HealthNext, the enterprise-class virtual care platform from Tech Mahindra Health and Life Sciences. Hello again, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to welcome back to the podcast, Sarah Vaizi, Chief Digital Business Officer for Providence Health System. Sarah is very, very well known. She's a thought leader in the space, and uh, she has just published a series of highly interesting reports on the current state of uh, the healthcare markets, especially from a digital transformation standpoint. And we're going to talk about that in uh, detail. Sarah, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start from the top. Seattle was ground zero for COVID 19 in the US, and one of your hospitals you'd actually treated the first patient, patient one. And you had come on this podcast around about that time in the early days of the pandemic to talk about the response effort. And that, that was a great conversation. I urge our listeners to go back and, and listen to that episode. And now you've just published a series of papers called the Digital Insight Series. And you've titled the series, uh, The Journey to the Next Normal. Tell us how this uh, report series came about and how you went about putting this together. Sure. So we went back in February and early March when we had the first wave of COVID outbreaks in the regions where we serve our patients um, in the Western United States. We had to mobilize our our, uh, assets across the organization very quickly. And that was the topic of our conversation last time, Patty. And as we continued throughout this process, we realized that not only from a build standpoint, which we have a significant product development organization that can build technology to address these needs. There was just so much activity going. Everybody had mobilized across the country from, you know, within the healthcare IT, digital, tech-enabled services. Everyone had mobilized to address and tackle the challenges that we were all collectively facing within COVID. And we realized there's just, there's so much opportunity for utilizing what's out there and putting it in the context of, look, what has happened is the healthcare systems sort of challenges are are on full display now. How we are struggling with the business model for healthcare and the strange incentives that it puts in place in order and creates for providers and for health systems, for instance, in a fee-for-service environment, all of these things, you know, they became on, they came on full display and we said, look, there's an opportunity for us now to reset and use what's out there and create a better system. And so that was sort of the goal that we had was was to say, how do we process all this that's happening? What are the key trends? What are the things that will be accelerated as a result of this unique catalyst of COVID, which is things like telehealth, for instance? What's going to be accelerated 
What do we think are going to be potentially new opportunities? And frankly, I think what we've realized is it's mostly going to be about acceleration. And it's going to be about acceleration around sort of new paradigms and new ways of caring for people and business models that that actually prioritize health and well-being. So this was really about taking all the stuff that was happening and trying to make some sense of it and trying to think about, well, how does this actually contribute to a reimagined system that works better for our patients and our providers. Right. And you not only looked at what was happening within the Providence uh, system, but you also looked across your peer group health systems. Is that correct? You interviewed a number of people who were in peer group uh, Actually, yes. So it was not just focused on Providence, it was, and we didn't even stick with just our peer group. We interviewed over a hundred individuals that spanned different segments of the industry. So we, we talked with other providers, but we also talked with payers. We talked with folks in private equity and venture. We, we spent quite a bit of time with policymakers and, and folks who had deep expertise on the regulatory environment. We spoke with clinicians. So we really took a a broad approach to this and interviewed folks from as many segments as we possibly could of the industry to get a holistic view. Right. Let's talk a little bit about the the reports. I read uh, several of those and it's outstanding stuff. It was very, very informative and uh, I learned a lot of new things uh, about what was really going on in the market and the changes that were that were happening. Now, your first report in the series starts by calling this the end of the beginning. It's kind of an ominous Churchillian mm-hmm. reference, if you will, from yes. World War II. Uh, you know, this quote actually goes back to the very early years of World War II. So we knew we knew that with high, we know with hindsight that there were the war was going to extend for a few more years. So I hope your comment doesn't you know, imply that we're going to have another four or five years of COVID-19 upon us. I'm sure that was not your intent. But the report goes on to talk about COVID-19 and the response effort. But then interestingly, it talks about the first order and the second order impacts. And it's a very interesting framework. Can you help us unpack the structure of the report? How did you go about setting it up this way? Sure. I will say, you know, we made that Churchill reference. And as you've articulated, of course, hindsight changed our view of how we look at that statement. And I would say that probably the same applies applies in this situation. When we finally published that, that initial piece, we thought we were at the sort of end of the response phase or the what we called the mobilization phase. I think that we are And depending on which region folks are in, there are some that are still in that mobilization phase. So there is a bit of hindsight for us as well in terms of not being 100% accurate. Hopefully, to your point, we don't have another four to five years of this. And I will say before I tell you about the structure that we did intend for this to be a stake in the ground. But knowing that because the situation is evolving so rapidly that it's likely that some of what we've proposed in this is incorrect. So as your listeners engage with the reports and have thoughts, we would love to hear from them and and engage in that conversation around how things are evolving past what we've already articulated and perhaps proving us wrong or bringing to light new information that, that would be informative. So 
with that said, the way that we thought about the report was when COVID started, it was a catalyst. It wasn't necessarily the reason why things happened, but it was a catalyst for sort of two paths of activity. The first was all COVID-related. How do we you know, rapidly adjust to this very acute situation? Um, and that was the mobilization phase, as well as, okay, so let's say the acute phase dissipates but there's going to be, is not going away permanently. So we have to continue to manage and mitigate and monitor the situation. So that's one stream was around mobilization and mitigation. The other stream is, okay, well, in the interest of responding to a very acute situation, what we're now dealing with is that our business has been fundamentally disrupted. Within providers, for instance, most providers had to shut down facilities, brick and mortar facilities, at least for some time, like their clinics, their, you know, their physician offices, because of the unknowns and the risk of exposure and those kinds of things. So it disrupted our our business fundamentally. And then we had to travel down the path of actually recovering from that. So it's not COVID specific. It was catalyzed by COVID, but any other kind of major catalytic event that would have caused us to shut down our, our clinics would have had a similar sort of consequence where we would have to say, okay, now, how do we get back to, to serving and get back to business? And then that actually makes way for this sort of next possibility, which is now we have an opportunity to take a good, hard look at how to evolve from where we are. So we have to immediately get back to recovery and understand how we can, in the near term, get back to business. But then in the long term, we need to say, look, this fee-for-service model, for instance, isn't necessarily working for us. How can we evolve past that and use this as an opportunity to do so? So that is, it's really not a COVID-related path of work. It's, it's more about continuing to serve while evolving. It's that sort of classic refrain of like changing the wheels on a moving car or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. that's what that path is. And then both of these kinds of paths result in a bunch of different ultimate consequences. Mental health, behavioral health, for instance, is a hugely impacted area. The second order impacts and outcomes in this report were not intended to be lower priority, but just that they are impacted by these two streams and everything that's happened across the industry. So, so that's how we thought about it in terms of like the kind of most fundamental drivers of change and then other impacts and outcomes that were a result of that. And so clearly there is an underlying theme of an industry in transition, transformation, and everything that you had taken for granted about the fundamentals of the business is now up for discussion. That's kind of the sense I got. And if I look at the reports, they cover a lot of ground. They, it talks about business model transformation, you know, new norms for patient safety. You mentioned all these contactless experiences that you were alluding to you know, in, in the context yes. of COVID-19. But you know, maybe even going forward, you talked about the report talks about industry consolidation and what is coming. And obviously, financial distress is, is a reality for many health systems. And then you've got the whole supply chain and you've got a lot of other things going on. So the underlying theme that permeates through all of the reports is that of an industry in transition. 
and how you know how do we get business back to its back to its uh, you know some level of immediate normalcy but really prepare for what is inevitably going to be a very very different normal which is what you're referring to as the next normal can you share a couple of big insights that came out of this work that you did i'll give one that's very relevant in the context of a lot of change happening and that's around telehealth so mm-hmm. we've been talking as an industry about telehealth for 25 years possibly more but the the industry hasn't we haven't really paid for it we haven't had the underlying enablers to make it a success for instance we have not had the legislative or regulatory framework underneath to ensure that telehealth was viable from a licensure or from a reimbursement standpoint. So there are just a lot of the underlying enablers haven't been there. And as a result, and possibly not just as a result, but another aspect of it is that we haven't had a lot of adoption. Most folks had not experienced telehealth as patients and our providers weren't really using it. Providence itself, we did not have telehealth as a common modality available to our physician enterprise to serve our patients in our ambulatory network prior to COVID. And what we saw, of course, was that now millions and millions of individuals have now experienced it for the first time. And so one insight that we got from that was now folks are online which means that they are more susceptible to not being our patients anymore. There has been this general trend toward patients not being, quote, loyal to one system or one provider. And with the sort of proliferation of all of these potential telehealth solutions out there, coupled with the fact that folks are now actually utilizing them, they are much more open to being grabbed by a really great experience that's provided by like a 98.6 or an Amazon Care. So this whole opening it up for is like our biggest strength and and our biggest weakness at the same time. We now can do telehealth at scale. And unfortunately, if we don't move quickly enough, it could work to our detriment. So that's one piece of it. In addition to that, the notion of scale, you know, we built a system that was able to scale, but a lot of the providers really struggled with scale. And what we learned was that, you know, we as an industry from a telehealth standpoint had been very feature oriented. And because of that, the investments had not across the board been made in being able to scale these technologies. And scale became the most important thing in delivering a high-quality telehealth experience that didn't require five hours of waiting. And then I think the last piece of that, as a result of that too, there was, of course, because there was so much scale, a lot of the big providers of technology kind of came into into telehealth as providers of telehealth, for instance. You know, Zoom became a very prominent player as it uh, related to telehealth. Microsoft increasingly looks at these kinds of things. And so we think that over time, another insight was that over time, the actual video conferencing will likely be largely commoditized. And it's going to be more about the value-added services and things like that, that you can layer on top of that experience to make it really worthwhile for the consumer. Yeah. Since you brought up telehealth, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. I actually just published uh, an article in 
CIO magazine where I, where I explore this in detail and really focus on the limits of telehealth. And, because ultimately, you know, as Administrator Seema Verma said in one of her blog posts recently, telehealth is not going to replace the gold standard in-person care in totality. There's several aspects of healthcare that are going to turn towards a virtual care model, but there are limits to that. Those limits are determined by what types of care you're talking about, what kind of populations you're talking about, and a variety of other things. Now, I've also seen data that suggests that even though telehealth visits, virtual consults in particular, and uh, you know, real-time video consults and video visits, uh, dramatically went up in the wake of the pandemic for obvious reasons, those volumes have dropped off a little in the last uh, month or so. And uh, there are several reasons for that. And there's also obviously the uncertainties around the around whether the uh, waivers are going to stay in place and whether the reimbursements are going to continue and so on. But what do you make of this? You know, Where are the limits to this? Do you think we are still a long way away from reaching some kind of a natural limit for telehealth penetration in healthcare? Or do you think that we've kind of tapped out? Where are we in this? From a Providence standpoint, we've seen a similar trend where there was a peak and then a decline. And now we've sort of, we've stabilized. And I think what we're seeing, that's a result of a couple different things. One is that the experiences for telehealth still aren't great. And, mm-hmm. and so as practices started to fill back up and could open with physical visits, we saw, you know, it's difficult to maintain and sustain the peak progress and momentum when the experience is challenged from a telehealth standpoint. So I think that we are, it's incumbent upon us to make that experience better, to drive, continue to drive adoption. I also think that there are, this isn't about all telehealth or not telehealth. And I think it's, there's always going to be a mix. And where we have a long way to go is to identify the mix and the kinds of use cases, frankly, that really work for telehealth because we are still sort of new to this at scale as an industry. We still don't know exactly what are the really great use cases that we have demonstrated value in, but we have some indications. And the more that we can kind of hone hone the experience and get more data around those use cases, like for instance, certain types of chronic disease management can be done really well remotely. Certain maternity care can be done really well remotely. Now that we have some folks that have adopted the technology and have a bit more experience with it, I think we can start to gather data around how to make those experiences more efficacious and more value-added for customers. I think that's where we have the biggest kind of um, runway or a ramp up that we still need to engage in. The technology, of course, still needs to improve and the experience needs to improve as well. But how we utilize it for which use cases that are most appropriate is the biggest kind of body of work that we still need to do. I think that is great uh, insight, uh, Sarah, because there's so much that is broken or suboptimal in the telehealth experience today that even by just streamlining it and making it a little bit more seamless, you could significantly move the needle. That's kind of the message I'm, I'm hearing from your comments. We're almost at the end of our time here. 
there's so much to cover in your report. I wish we had more time. But uh, at a high level, can you tell us what do you plan to do with this body of research that you've done in putting these reports together? Firstly, of course, you've, you've done you know, human service in sharing it with us, which I think is fantastic. But what next? What do you plan to do with the reports themselves or the insights that you've gained from them? Well, first is that these are not one and done kinds of things. So what we were hoping to do is get the industry kind of talking and start identifying opportunities either for individual systems or individual sectors, but also opportunities for partnerships and just collaboration around common themes. So we were really, that was one big objective was to get the conversation going and make room for collaboration around specific areas. And I think, Patty, you had talked about something on LinkedIn about the public-private partnerships that have emerged as a result of this. I absolutely think that that's one very interesting and important area where we could accelerate those private-public partnerships and make them really effective. So the goal was really That was one objective. The second is we're going to use this as basis for our own strategy. And we're taking a long, hard look at our digital strategy and identifying where we need to pivot, where we need to sort of double down. For instance, as it relates to business model evolution, how can we really support the movement of organization, our organization to managing risk with specific populations like those folks who are on Medicare Advantage. And a unique, interesting wrinkle is that they're older patients. So how can you really make digital work for them? So, um, you know, we're going to use it in that way. And then finally, we were not intending these to be just one report. We're going to continue to monitor all of these trends and update them. And when we're wrong, we're going to write about it. And when there's new information, we're going to synthesize it and continue to drive the conversation so that like as an industry, our learning can accelerate and we can work to to kind of solve these really big problems more efficiently. Fantastic. That is so well summarized. And once again, for our listeners, uh, for those who did not catch it earlier on in the conversation, the series of papers is titled The Digital Insights Series, and they can be pulled off the Providence Health website. Is that correct, uh, Sarah? Yes, actually, you can go to, uh, it's our Providence Digital Innovation Group Resource Center, which is providence-digitalinsights.org, and um, you can you can download them all there. Fantastic, and I couldn't recommend it more strongly to all our listeners, and if, you know, if there's anyone out there who wants to really understand, get a finger on the pulse of what is going on in digital transformation, especially in this post-COVID-19 era, there's no better place to start. Sarah, thank you so much for coming back on the show again and look forward to staying in touch. Likewise, thank you for having me and I really appreciate your time. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at thebigunlock.com with your feedback and questions. 